You're listening to highlights from the Creative Processes interview with Merlin Donald. This podcast is supported by the Jan Michalski Foundation. Do you think that technology is potentially moving too fast for our minds? Absolutely. When you think of how slowly human beings changed for a long time, and what we're doing now, it's like a spinning top. Colin Renfrew, an eminent archaeologist in, in England, once studied a famous paper and a book about the movement of European peoples in Europe and the spread of agriculture. Agriculture spread, he estimated, at the rate of 30 miles per generation. <laughs> 30 miles. I go that sometimes to go shopping, you know, 30 miles. And that took an entire generation. And of course, during that time, the environment was transformed. On one side, you had hunter-gatherers of that line. And on the other, you had a densely populated agricultural zone. Now, we have more changes in our mentation every day than they had every generation by far okay so now it's true that you we have plastic brains and we we acquire information and we are very good at acquiring new skills but is this a sustainable rate of change no of course not coping with that is tearing us apart and maybe we need somehow to slow things down unfortunately on, on a gut level they things sometimes regress i think the political change that's occurring right now between right and left and we're seeing something of that here in canada with the protests in ottawa that kind of polarization is very dangerous and it's primitive you know it's it's a regression because if you look at history of, of human beings, that, that fight has been going on for hundreds of years, thousands of years. So we do need to slow things down. And to do that, we need to stabilize our culture. That's the most important thing. And how we do that is, is the question, because in, instead of stabilizing, it seems to be becoming very unstable and uh, I, I shudder to think of what could happen. I think of the Gang of Four in China or the, the Communist Revolution in Russia. And so on. it's not pretty <laughs> when things start to happen that way. Things get out of control and human beings discover that they're not as refined as they thought they were. <laughs> so that's the danger. And you're absolutely right on that question. You know, we've just come out of our fairly recently, the COP26, and we're, as you say, uh, facing these existential threats. And I'm mm -hmm. wondering how neuroscientists and psychologists could be maybe have a seat at the table because to help people realize, to help politicians move faster, to help corporations move faster, and to, you know, help the message get across in yeah. a way, because we it's not just that we have to do it, we have to do it now. And I'm just wondering, does that, you know, are you frustrated at the slowness like all of us and how maybe you could apply some of your discoveries? I'm frustrated about the slowness, but I'm not sure any of my discoveries will solve the practical problem of how do you get people to come together? Just look at the struggle in the States, the Trumpians versus the traditional Republicans versus the progressivists versus the extreme left, how on earth do you get those people into the same room talking the same language? It's a practical problem that has to be solved, I think, on the level of communication. That's why I raised the issue of uh, the actual age, because 
what a religion is, is, you know, it has nothing to do with belief. <laughs> a religion is about custom and practice, a way of life and a community that has a sense of community. And so we have no substitution for that right now. And one way is that you, you go back in time to, and each group go back to its traditional way of life. That's probably not going to fly in, in this world because then they become tribal and they start fighting. And, you know, what you need is something to unify people that cuts across all of that. And I, I don't see it on the horizon right now. I'm not saying it's impossible, but that's the sort of thing. If you shift the emphasis, and I think artists, artists are undoubtedly part of this because they have to. Artists are able sometimes to get to people on a very basic level. But I think artists, scientists, scholars, historians, thinkers are essential to this. But the form it's going to take, I can't say because I'm, I'm an old guy. I'm, I'm the past. <laughs> you know, it's up to the young people to figure this out. But that's, the, to me, the, the greatest challenge of our time. It's the thing that has to be solved. Until we find that magic formula, we're going to get more Donald Trumps and more Victor Orbans and so on. And we're going to find that re regress instead of progressing. You're also a scientist. I'm wondering what role has intuition, dreams, you know, just that instinct played in some of your breakthroughs? I mean, how much do you ascribe to that? Just having a- That's an interesting question. I, I think a big role. I mean, it's true of, of all theories, no matter how abstract they are, they involve imagination. That's even true of mathematicians. I mean, they'll tell you that they see relationships uh, that you and I don't see, but it's it, it's nevertheless an imagination issue. It's not a question of just numbers and equations and so on. But certainly in something like theory of mind, you cannot help but use your own experience as well as objective evidence. And it's true that one of the big struggles I went through was dealing with computational linguistics and Chomsky and that sort of mathematical approach to language, because it was of the order of an irresistible tsunami or fad among academics when I was growing up. And if you deviated from it, you, you were thought to be ignorant or something. I mean, they, they were that arrogant. And I think the instinct behind that movement was a deep belief that physicists had solved the world a certain way, and therefore we all had to bore the methods of physics, which turned out to be really good for physics, but not much else. That is, you, you, once you get to chemistry, the, the, the systems are different. Biology, utterly different. When you get to psychology, well, we're on a different planet. I mean, so you can't just borrow the methods of one field and generalize them to something else. But I think that that affects your imagination on a deep level. If you think, if you're a painter and you think, well, Rembrandt was the ultimate painter of all time and nothing else works. <laughs> you know, if you have that idea, you're never going to be an impressionist, right? Because on a deep level, you have a certain concept of how things should be done. And that's an imaginative thing that governs your imagination very deeply. And so it's true of everything. Now, as you think about the future, we're really facing, as you say, with the four transitions, we're facing a turning point. We have to think about our education. We have to 
think about the future of us on this planet. And as you reflect on the challenges we face and the kind of world we're leaving for the next generation, what teachers or life lessons were important to you? What would you like young people to know, preserve, and remember? Boy, that's a, that's, that's a big one. Well, I think the main thing is keep your humanity. Don't allow yourself to be kidnapped by corporate robots. <laughs> There's many of the people who work for corporations, I feel sympathy for them. And so in a way, I'm sorry for them because they have no choice. They're compelled to do the things they do. But at the top, there's a lot of selfishness and relentless greed. And we have to get away from the materialism of this world. We have to get away from the crazy consumerism and, and acquisitions and so on and get back to more modest ambitions in life and basic things. And if we don't do that, I, I shudder to think of what where the world is going to end up because we can't, we just can't keep consuming the planet and fighting one another on in the way we do. I mean, I, I follow politics now, maybe more than I should since I retired and it can become an obsession. I mean, the things that are happening around the globe in our society, but we live in a, such a comfortable bubble. The vast majority of human beings are living in horrible conditions. One of my sons has worked for many years in NGOs around the world in some of the poorest places, you know, Papua New Guinea and West Africa and various other places. And there's so many civil wars, so many massacres and so on. And a lot of it is a product of the insane greed of the Western world. So you, you can't help but say, if we don't solve that problem of selfishness and greed, we're not going to make it. We hope you've enjoyed listening to these highlights. To listen to the latest episodes or learn more about participating in exhibitions or interviews, click on subscribe. Thank you for listening.